Hi. You're listening to The Digital Dude. This is a podcast about digital learning in schools. I'm Michael Vick. And I'm Sam Shropshire. We're former teachers and current digital learning coaches. Technology is powerful. Get on the line and prepare to get plugged in. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. This is Michael and... Sam. And this is the inaugural episode of... The The Digital Digital Dudes. Dudes. We did not rehearse that at all. No, it was totally random. Totally. Okay. I don't know if we're going to do that every time, but it was was kind of odd. So this is the inaugural episode of The Digital Dudes, where we talk about digital learning in the classroom and kind of how you can do it better, some things you can consider... What, what, I mean, what's the purpose of this thing, Sam? So basically, we're trying to gear this towards, you know, secondary teachers mainly, mainly because, you know, you're a middle school guy. I'm half middle school, half high school guy. Um, and we really wanted during this whole COVID thing, and we're going more digital with all of education, um, to have a more flexible way to learn because so many people are so overwhelmed with so many commitments. And we thought a podcast would be a really good way for no matter where or when you're ready to learn something, you can just push play and bam, podcast is there. Yeah. So context, this is um, mid-November. Um, COVID is definitely in full swing. And so... We're like in the third wave right now. Yeah, third wave. And so we've, um, we just want a, a different way to do some, some professional development out there for teachers. I know me personally, I've learned a lot through podcasts. Um, professionally, through uh, like the Google Teacher Tribe, through TeacherCast, Ditch That Textbook. Uh, there's a lot of different podcasts that have helped me in my career. It's nice to get a different perspective on things. And, um, you know, it's you don't really get a chance to talk with your DLC. That's what we both are. We're both digital learning coaches at middle schools. And um, you don't really ever get a chance to talk with your DLC about some of those things you maybe really wanted to ask. And so we wanted to kind of just have an informal way to deliver some of this information. But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about ourselves and kind of what led us to this point. So I was a math teacher. I taught eighth grade math and pre-AP algebra. And I was really um, to the, getting to the point where I was using a whole lot of technology in my classroom. I had pretty much flipped my classroom and I put all of my lists. There wasn't a single, class, a single question on any test that didn't have a video with an explanation of the answer. That was kind of like my thing my last year because I got to the point where I was using Edge Creations and making a video for everything and then linking it on a Google site, which I mean, now I'd probably use something like Canvas, but at the time that's how I made it happen. And so I realized I was using a whole lot of technology. I had like a paperless classroom and my kids did a lot of annotating and screencasting to explain their work. And I just got to the point where that became kind of my thing versus the math. And then I looked at the whole field of instructional technology and went into it. How did you get into this field? So just to give you some background, uh, when I first started teaching, I was out in the middle of nowhere at the most rural place, this little town called Hubbard, Texas. And uh, when I first walked in, I said, hey, I don't see really any technology. Do you guys have any projectors or anything? And they looked at me really strange and they went to a closet that had like all these boxes and they found one. And it was the most amazing thing they've ever seen. And I kind of got from the get-go kind of obsessed with trying to use technology in a way that other people around me weren't doing it and I thought that was really fun and then progressed through the years when we got one-to-one for the first time in my classroom I went crazy like a kid in a candy store and I was always trying new things you know like how can we use this how can we do that 
And then my last couple of years in the classroom, I got really um, obsessed with student-centered learning and like, why in the world in my social studies classroom would I be the center? It doesn't matter how much I know or what I can do. You know, the kids are my end product and what in the world can I do to make it all about them and their learning experience? And I felt like technology gave, was the medium for that. And so I got really excited anytime I could utilize technology to help demonstrate their learning or make them kind of the center of what I was doing. And so um, when I've, I've been doing this kind of digital learning thing the last four years, and it's been really exciting. I miss my content a lot. I still love it when I get to go co-teach social studies classes specifically, but I do think this is a really cool position where we can have the perspective like Michael was talking about to reach people in all areas of the school, working with counselors, working with registrars, you know, data clerks, principals, every subject. I mean, people across the district, content level people. It's really interesting to get a perspective of the whole education system. One of the, one of the things that we plan on doing is doing a, a very consistent interview section where we have um, four or five questions where we're, we're going to ask people across the district, including teachers, you know, administrators like you were talking about, and counselors, just simple questions um, to kind of get their perspective as far as like the technology lens, what it looks like. Yeah. I was going to say earlier what you were talking about with the projector where you're like, the technology's there and I want to use it, right? And so I kind of had that same feeling too in the classroom where our kids had iPads and there were a lot of teachers who I guess were reluctant or scared to kind of use those iPads in their classroom and I was like, bring it on. I want to, I want to use the heck out of those things. And so, yeah, it's kind of funny that we had the same similar mentality and I kind of thought everybody would have that mentality. I know, me too. And then when you get into our role and you're working with so many different people, you find out that, well, you know, a lot of people, this is really overwhelming and scary for them. And if you can kind of help be that technology counselor kind of where you can kind of coach, yeah, and you can kind of make them more comfortable with it and kind of be, okay, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Here's some small steps that you can personally take that are going to help you. I I mean, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Now, um, to give you some personal background on Michael and I, um, our friendship started uh, about four years ago, and it actually started with my wife because she was a librarian at one of Michael's schools, and I had to hear it from her, and then she had to hear it from he had I had to hear, to hear it from her. Yeah, too. you had to hear it from her. And so she, did she I. talked about you to me, and she talked about me to you. Wait, yeah, yeah, I think I said <laughs> this that. This is right? so awkward. This is yeah. But what's crazy is all the similarities that we have with our lives. For example, we're both, you know, in our mid thirties. We're only like four days apart yeah. in our birthdays. We're both thirty six, and I am the older, wiser one. Let's not forget that. May yeah, nine, four, four days May means 14. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Also, I've been doing this job a year longer than you. So if there's ever like a time where we disagree, let's remember I have another year. Or experience. I would think that I'm more in touch with the classroom because I have less time out of it compared to you. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll let the audience decide. Well, another fun thing is our wives are both like four feet tall. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all had so had similar backgrounds. Like they were both in color guard, for example. Right. And our kids' personalities are really similar. That's too. true. That's like true. They're, they're both like easygoing and put up with our antics. <laughs> yeah, and really positive people for yes. sure. Mm-hmm. And our kids are the exact same ages and genders. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like our sons are seven days apart. Like, yeah. day, like, we're talking days, like <laughs> double digit hours here. Now, just so you hope you're not hearing the same person talk, besides that, it's funny how wildly different we are. Like, we might came, come from the same place as far as like views on education, but we get in some pretty heated disagreements. And 
We thought that this would be a great forum for us to express our grievances. Kind of, you know, the poll of grievances, I think it was on well, Seinfeld. You know, yeah. you know, you guys know, there's a certain people in your life where you can completely be yourself and completely honest and hold nothing back. Sam's like that for me, and I'd hope like I'm like that for him. And some of that's going to come through the podcast, podcast and um, but you know it is going to be a little tempered because I don't want to you know make a bunch of people mad. Yeah. Which which goes to show our difference in personality. Sam seems to have no problem making people mad. <laughs> oh, I think that's kind of a harsh way to say it. Okay, I would say that I have no problem standing up for my opinions. Right, but just like I wouldn't also say that you kind of avoid conflict sometimes. Right. I do. No, no, no. I think the, the perfect person's probably right in between us who doesn't exist. So <laughs> hopefully this podcast is that middle person. Yep. So our, our podcast is going to go through like some, some constants. Like we're going to ha- always have a, a time to throw down where Sam and I will either disagree on something or we'll try to DLC the other DLC DLC's digital learning I think I said that's our title right yeah we're gonna try to like out DLC the other one on on a particular topic and I do think that is what I'm most excited about and I think that's gonna be what's most entertaining for you because you know we all like watching reality TV sometimes because it's kind of like a train wreck like look how awkward these people are how's he gonna react yeah (laughs) and you kind of get to see how awkward our arguments can get yeah like we can argue about arguing. Yeah, so actually this episode, our inaugural episode, we do have an item that we are gonna disagree on. Are you ready? It's time to throw down. We'll come back to that in a second, but the other kind of bits we're gonna do, we're gonna have a uh, a time to get your mind blown. It's time to get your mind blown. talk about a cool tool or just something in general like a different strategy that we've seen in the classroom what what are some other ones we're gonna have oh uh, we're also gonna have like a cool tool or something uh, um, kind of like a, a, a tip a daily tip I think is what we're gonna call it like a daily tool that we use like there's so many things that something on the daily something That's on the, the daily name excuse me the... we're still we're still ironing this thing out you use this every day Here's a tip you may not have known. It's time for On the Daily. But uh, it's going to be fun because there's so many times where I'll be working with a teacher and I'll do something and then that teacher will be like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. And it could be something that we might take for granted, but I think it could really help teachers on the daily. Right. I have a, I don't know if you do, I have a weekly newsletter that I send out to my campus. There are so many things that I want to put on that and it really comes down to like three. Every week I can put three or maybe four if I really scrunch it down. And so the podcast is going to be another way for me to get those things out there to those who are eager to learn. Yeah, I think it's fun. I do it with newsletters too, but I'm just not as ambitious as a week. Right. Maybe every couple of weeks. Good job. Yeah. Well, the last, the last bit's the interview. We talked about that a minute ago. Hey, look, that person looks interesting. Let's hear what they have to say. Yeah. So those four constants, and then I think as the show progresses, other things will come out, and you'll you'll learn a little bit more about our personalities and how we um, how we relate to one another and what we really think about technology. Definitely. So we do have a time to throw down what we're gonna do for you today, just to give you a nice little taste of what this is gonna feel like. Yeah, this is kind of we're only gonna do one segment for this first episode, but this is some good content, something that we. Um, tend to disagree about often and talk about and we felt like it would really help you in your understanding of campus and I think you might get some real insights into this. 
Are you ready? It's time to throw down. Hey, you want to hear a random fact? Sure. So that word you just used, often, did you know the English language you're actually supposed to not pronounce the T? It's often. Often. No, it's not. There's a letter there. There is a letter, but it's not how it's supposed to be pronounced. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll Google this later. <laughs> All right. But I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I, if it comes to the English language, I'm probably going to be wrong. Often. But that is so weird. It's Well, to me, often sounds more like proper, you know? Yeah. But it's really often. Okay, good talk. All right, I'll stop using it so often. All right, so the time, that was not the thing we were disagreeing on. <laughs> that Just one so, of many. Yeah. That would have been such a letdown. <laughs> no, this is actually going to be something that you might care about, not right, often. Right. So one of the, the one of the biggest uh, things that I'm sure you guys know is uh, is Canvas, right? We use Canvas for a lot of things, and um, in Frisco, um, there's this thing called a blueprint where you have a course that a bunch of people work on together. They're both listed as teachers, and then you press this big blue button called Sync, and you sync it over, and it's supposed to go to everybody's individual classes, live classes, the classes where students are in. And um, in a perfect world, the sync button would be amazing. But there seems to be, well, hold on, hold on, time out. Let me give you a little bit more context. I was hoping we would. Yeah, yeah, we really need, why don't, why don't you take over for a minute, give them a little <laughs> bit of context. Because I want to I wanna come in with my complaint after you do this. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, so our first little segment that we're going to do for you guys is a time to throw down, and we're going to be discussing Canvas blueprints. Now, Canvas, as I'm sure you're aware if you're listening to this, is a learning management system where you can have basically a virtual learning environment for your classes. We are both big Canvas nerds, and probably Canvas is going to be often on our podcast. Now, to give you a little did context, you say, did you say often? I did say often, okay. and I definitely did it as a dig to you. All right. And uh, one of the big uh, things that we're going to talk about is, uh, or I should tell, tell you, is the context for our Canvas backgrounds. We've been using Canvas for about four years, learning about it for five. And we came from a district that the only way to kind of collaborate as a team of teachers was to manually move things from one course to the other. And ever since I learned about Canvas my first couple of years, I was very annoyed by that because it shouldn't be that difficult. Right. And it's not obvious, too. Like, you go and you're like, how do I move this over? And you're thinking copy and paste, right? Something that easy. Yeah, definitely but you have not. to go to settings, go to import. Course content. Then, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it really is multiple clicks and clicks that you don't think where the clicking should happen. Yeah. And then when we were both hired by Frisco... And they talked about how they use Canvas. During our interview. During the interview, definitely. Because, you know, we're Canvas nerds, and of course we brought that up. Um, I got, and Michael got, super excited about this idea of blueprints. And so when it was first being described to us, and they were talking about how you can have one course that all these teachers are working on, and whenever you hit sync in that one course, it magically goes over to your courses with students. I'll call those shell courses. And that it was that simple. And I was so giddy about this because I'm like, are you kidding me? This is going to be so much easier for teachers. This is so much better for collaboration. And I was so excited. And I still am excited about how easy it is for teachers to all collaborate together in one course and how they can easily get that content that they've built in that one course synced over to their shell courses. Right. So in um, Blueprint Utopia world, that would work wonderfully. But there are problems. So for example, if one teacher at one point messes up one character on one page or one assignment or any small change, then the sync will no longer work. You will push sync and everything will look hunky-dory and it won't be. Eh. I'm going to disagree 
because that's technically not true. The way the blueprint sink happens or works is it doesn't break the sink for the whole course. If you do happen to edit something in your shell course, then it just breaks that sink for that one thing. So that one page would be broken in the sink or that one assignment doesn't break the sink for okay. everything. So in the in the virtual when we went virtual at the beginning of this year, the um, there are some very important pages because those certain pages have a lot of links on them. The agenda page has a lot of links on it. The 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 course homepage, all these pages have a lot of links on them. And so those little changes to those one pages become big changes because there are, there are consistent changes on certain things. And then when that one thing doesn't sync, it's hard to play detective and find out where it happened. And then if you can't figure it out, you can all, you always end up having to copy it and then move it over. And it's just, it becomes very, very confusing. I would say one thing that I will agree, give Michael a little point here is that Using blueprints requires a teacher to really have deeper knowledge of how Canvas courses work and how blueprints work. Well, like no, you really on. have. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Using blueprints when they mess up requires. A no, no, knowledge. I say using blueprints in general because there are some intricacies about it and how once you kind of wrap your mind around it and you understand how the Canvas blueprint system works, it actually is a highly effective thing. But if if you have somebody that really doesn't know or doesn't understand that it works, then it really is easy to kind of break the sink for specific things. And, and then you need to call somebody like your DLC and then they can come in and fix it. Right, which is wonderful if they're readily available, but you and I both know we have not been readily available, especially not this year. Oh man, my customer service is top notch. I am available. <laughs> whatever, whatever. <laughs> you told me a story, like one teacher like is like, last year I could see you you know, if I needed to see you, but this year I have to make an appointment with you and it's like two weeks out. Well, just to be You're fair, like if you my get... primary care physician. <laughs> <laughs> if if we're being real about how the Frisco system works here, the beginning of the year is super crazy for all DLCs, and that is the case. Especially this year. Yeah, but now that once you get past the first normally six weeks, I would say this year the first nine weeks, we get to the point where, man, you send me an email, you say you need to meet, and bam, we're going to be meeting. So it's not that difficult anymore. But beginning of the year, well, you're definitely right. I'm glad to hear that. I know, it's getting better. I didn't know it was getting better for you. Yeah. I thought it was still staying crazy. So you're ready to say that blueprints are amazing. No. <laughs> no. No, stop it. <laughs> so tell me another problem that you have with blueprints. Okay. okay, so here's another problem. You know, the district paid a lot of money. I don't know how much money, so don't ask. Um, for this thing called Cami. And Cami um, is a, an LTI where you have to go and find your own Google Doc or PDF or something in Google. It's actually called a Cami Google assignment or whatever on the LTI. Google's in the name. Um, and so when you put that in the blueprint and then you sync it, each teacher is going to individually have to go into those assignments and add their own copy of that Cami assignment. Okay. And, and that is a problem because like you, like you said earlier, you have to have a deeper knowledge but if that deeper knowledge is, I mean, you're still having to do the work in your regular course anyway, so it defeats the whole purpose of having the blueprint. So again, understanding that deeper don't, knowledge don't, of don't, Canvas. Don't with that again condescendingness. <laughs> so let me go ahead and explain what I will, what I've consistently told all my teams of teachers that love blueprints. By the way, overwhelmingly love blueprints. Is that when you're doing a external tool, and Cami is an external tool. There's other examples of external tools. There's Google Cloud assignments. There's Google Course Kit assignments. There are Nearpods, there are Edpuzzles. Anytime you're doing any kind of external tool, that kind of thing should not be done in the blueprint because that involves where your students are or your students being involved in the course. 
And students are not in a blueprint course, they're only in your shell course. So for example, what I tell teams of teachers is that as a team in your blueprint, you would create an assignment with just the title and leave it as like no submission and then put it on your weekly agenda and sync it over. Once it's in that weekly agenda sunk over, then you can go specifically into your shell, into that assignment and set up the external tool. That way the template for the assignment is set up, but the third party or the external tool is not specifically set up in the blueprint, it's set up in the shell. Right, so you agree that it still is work you have to do in your live course? Well, of course, but so, that's where your students so are and that's the price you, you pay. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple other things that I wanna talk about with blueprints. So if you, okay, when you do have a blueprint and people are learning about Canvas, it's really easy to rely upon one or two experts to kind of handle the Canvas course. And you almost have to in some cases because you can't have everybody working on an assignment at the same time. And then they sync it over. Then that intricate knowledge of how blueprints work only really happens for the blueprint, like, I don't want to say owner, but the, the manager, the designer or whatever, that person. So this actually goes back to one of my biggest pet peeves I had when I was teaching in the classroom is I was really big on collaboration and getting students to work together. And it took a lot of training for my high school students to tell them, hey, collaborating doesn't mean that much, you divide and conquer. How much training? A lot. Okay. But I think it's important because it's really important to understand collaboration. It's 21st century skill, Michael. So... You do not divide and conquer when you collaborate. It's not for you to do one thing, me to do another, this person to do another, and then we smash it all together for a final product. That's not collaboration. Collaboration means that each person or everybody is working together on every aspect of it. So they're all putting their heads together on every facet of that project collaboration. And I think that when you talk about blueprints, it's the exact same thing. I have seen teams of teachers, just like what Michael is saying, that are not, to me, collaborating with Canvas, that they do have just that one Canvas expert, and then everybody else really has no idea what's going on. That's not collaboration. That's right. not what I'm but talking sometimes about. sometimes that's all teachers have time for. I know that, but I do think it's important for teachers to make time to understand how Canvas works because it is their course, and there's no way they're going to get better unless they invest that time in order to learn these skills, in order to create that virtual environment that's rich with an innovative opportunities for their students. And so to me, instead of just one teacher in a Canvas blueprint doing everything, it should really be divided up. Some of my most effective teams, and I can think of a couple of teams specifically, I'm not gonna shout you out right now, but that have, let's say one person work on assignments one week, one person work on pages one week, one person work on discussions, and then every week they kind of like switch their roles. And so then it is like kind of a rotation to where they're not just learning one thing, they're all learning together about how to use the Canvas Blueprint. Yeah, and you know what, honestly, I'll lean a little towards your way on that. Because um, last year, there were those teachers that really kind of owned the Canvas part of it, and they were the leaders of their teams. But this year, you're right, because of, really, because of COVID, Every teacher has kind of become their own little mini expert on Canvas. I, you're right. I think Blueprint is a little bit easier to deal with this year. Well, I mean, there's there's so much growth that's happening all over, which is going to be really exciting in our podcast to do our interviews because there are so many teachers these last, especially from March on, that have grown so much in their digital knowledge that it's really exciting to see. It's pretty amazing. Like, if you would have asked me this time last year, um, do you believe every student is going to be doing all of their classwork on a Chromebook? I'd have been like, um, no way. 
And it is definitely happening. I, every classroom I walk by at my school, every single one of them, every student's on a device. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. So what I'm hearing say back, bring it back, is that blueprints are amazing and that everybody <laughs> should be using them. <laughs> and by the way, just to give a plug to what Michael's saying, I do think blueprints only have their place with teams of teachers. Like all my teachers that they're the only ones that teach that subject, like a lot of elective teachers, I do not encourage them to use blueprints at all because it is a hassle to sync and wait for that sync or not break something. It really is only important for teams of teachers that are collaborating. So really my core teachers that might have, you know, two to four teachers on it. Yeah. So there are certain check marks you have to have before you think a blueprint's going to work. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, just to... Hold on. One more, one more question. Hold okay. On. Hold on. Who can make a course of blueprint? Uh, only the DLC. Okay. Only one person could do that? But that's something that we should totally set up for the whole year. You do it once, and then it's ready. Okay. And you know what? I'm really sure. excited every year to set up my blueprints for my teachers because it makes me excited that they're collaborating together. Oh, man. You'd really turn that around. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, one other thing to kind of put Michael down as far as how not to break the sink. That's is, all the time we have for today. Sorry. <laughs> is I, I really encourage my teams of teachers to do something called locking in their blueprint. And so those pages upon pages that Michael was talking about, you can go into your blueprint and you can more. And you can do that more, the locking. I know thing. you do. And I did I did not use it last year, but this year I've really started encouraging it. And so like telling people to lock pages and lock things in their blueprint. And all that means is that then you can't accidentally go and make uh, edits in your shell. I know that I constantly forget when I'm working with a team, oh, am I in the shell or am I in the blueprint? Well, if you lock those things in the blueprint, then you can't accidentally edit them and break that sync in your shell. I think you've leaned me towards your side just a little bit today. Yes. I think you have. I think... Um, so tell me how you do it. At the beginning of the year, do you just send everybody a form? If you want a blueprint... Let me know, and then you then you do it, or do you just kind of do it? Oh, I, I definitely rely on the, a form, at the, a Google okay. form at the beginning of the year, and I have them tell me specifically like what the course codes are and all that. But it's it's really not that much work to set up. It's it's pretty easy. Oh yeah, I mean it's not hard for us to set up. I just I remember last year, the first year, I went and set up blueprints for everything, and um, there were a lot of people who didn't use the blueprint or didn't know what they were doing using the blueprint messed up a lot of things. And so I like the idea of letting teachers choose to use the blueprint and that way they clear and then clearly understanding what it is that they're doing. Yeah. And you know, you have teachers at like different levels, just like you have your students at different levels. I have some teams of teachers that they can absolutely fix their blueprint sync just like that. I made an instructional video and they can watch it and boom, they can fix their own sync. And then there's other teams that are still developing, still learning. Sure. And and I don't mind going in and fixing their blueprints for them. And, and does it happen? Yes, it happens a lot at beginning year. But I can tell you in the last like month, I've maybe have fixed one where the first couple of weeks of school, I was doing it constantly. So it, they get used to it and the teams get into a groove and they understand how it works. I do have a few teams that are using the blueprint. I just wanted to let you know. I'm not completely opposed to it. You're not going to like just shoot a team down that wants to use for, it. Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, it's team, it, you know, I think really I just want people to understand what it is. Some people use that word blueprint and not really sure what it means. Yeah. They think it's a, like a master course where they are collaborating on the course and then have to import things over. Um, Canvas has also I we're kind of we're kind of beating a dead horse here, but 
I also want to say, Canvas has also made it easier to copy things over to a different course. Used to be you had to go to settings and move it over, but now you can go into a module. If you have things set up correctly in a collaborative course, you can go to copy to on top of the module and bring it over. And so they have made it easier to not use a blueprint. They probably did that in response to the demand from other districts who didn't have a blueprint. But still, it is a little bit easier if, you're, if you don't want to deal with those random blueprint problems that kind of happen. Yeah, to give Michael props, I, I think it's a lot easier to move things than it used to be. Because when it, back in the day, right, like two years ago, um, <laughs> it used to be where you had to like go to settings, import course really content. Feel like a long time <laughs> I know, right? It's been a long year. Um, <laughs> and then you would have to manually click, 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 click to move things over. And what Michael's saying, if you haven't looked into it, is really great where you can just hit copy to and send it over to your other course and it makes it a lot easier. And in fact, I have some teams of teachers that, I mean, I think not using a blueprint is the best thing for them just because of the way they run things, but it should be a decision that you and your team talk about. Right, right. The blueprint puts things in particular places too, and so when you do start creating your own items, the blueprint doesn't know where to put those things, and so it ends up kind of all over the place, and you always have to go back and change it after every single sync. And so... That sometimes can be a problem. Well, again, but uh, just but to come back, it, it goes gotta, back to what you said. Yeah, like, you, you, when a you deeper knowledge. What you're doing, yeah, yeah, no, no. You I have to, to to use a blueprint properly. Like you have, really have to have a deeper knowledge of what syncs and what doesn't sync. To give an example, um, publishing in Canvas is a big deal, right? Whether students can see things or not, you really have to understand that when you create something in the blueprint and you sync it over, that thing is either published or unpublished in the shell based on with the first sync. Meaning if I make an assignment and I sync it over unpublished, I can no longer publish it in the blueprint and have that sync over. I would have to manually publish that assignment in your shell. However, if you make an assignment in your blueprint and it's published and you sync it over the, for the first time, it's gonna come over published. That's just one of those little intricacies yeah. that you need to understand. Right. All right, so I think we've uh, we've totally uh, beaten this dead horse. So let's, um, let's kind of conclude here a little bit and um, we're going forward, like I said, we're going to have different different bits, and we're going to talk a little bit less about us and what this podcast is about, because you would have already listened to that in episode one, which is what we just finished. Yeah. You think people want to know other things besides about us? Yes. Interesting. Well, me more than... They probably don't want to know much about you. That's true. Right. But me, I'm very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mr. Humble here. Mr. Gr no, Egotistical there. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't really... Anybody who really knows me knows that... He's being completely serious. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to call this a wrap. Yep. Episode one, inaugural episode, we're concluding. Yep. Hope you guys have enjoyed this and learned something new, and that you will come back and continue to uh, enjoy hanging out with us and learning some more new things. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.